You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Well, last week I I shared a a message about listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you remember, but I did give you a challenge. I said my my hope was that this day uh, that we would have a few people who would come and share a story about about praying to hear God's voice and and, and what would ensue uh, in the following. And so do we have any volunteers to share a story? No, I'm not going to do that to you today. <laughs> I actually do have one. I want to invite up Corrine Uzak to come and, uh, and share uh, a little bit about her week in that regard today. So, Corrine, thanks for coming. Th- and, and can I just say, uh, honestly, and this is, this is uh, you know, an honest from my heart, what a blessing when I am preaching to first know pe- someone's listening. And I know that she's not the only one listening, okay? <laughs> but that is a blessing. But also to know that people will receive a challenge. Uh, because it's, it's, it, it draws us into the heart of Jesus, and that's the point. And so, thank you. Love to hear a little bit uh, about your, your, what you have to share. So, um, after Keith made that challenge, I wrote it on a piece of paper, and I put it on my desk. And I said, okay, God, every single day this week, actually, I paused and I asked myself the question, Lord, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to my neighbor? And it started off with, hey, you know, I should get together with different people. And uh, that was Tuesday morning. I met a friend for coffee. You would think nothing important. But at one point, she stood up and she went to the bathroom. And uh, she, she apparently melted down and had and wept. And I'm like, she came back to the table and she said, I'm sitting here with you. And she says, I'm moving on the weekend. And she said, I just got a $1,500 car bill. And I don't know how to do it. And uh, she told me what it was about. And I said, can you hold off for 24 hours? I said, I've got a very handy son. His name's PJ. And I said, let me talk to my men, my husband and uh, our son. And for less than $10, we got her, her car put back together again and on the road. And just a nudge from the Holy Spirit that said, hey, let's just get together with this gal. And God used it. And then yesterday, my husband and I are part of the small group with the Mabbots. And so it was a bit of a heavy day. So we got a prayer request early in the morning to pray. And so I'm at home, and I'm praying alone, and it just, I was overwhelmed. And so I reached out to someone else in our group, and I said, hey, would you like to pray? And the answer was, oh, yes. And I've never actually done it that way, that there was such a need. And so we got together, and we prayed. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And then I got the message that he was passing. And I went... I basically went home for a minute and then felt really strongly that I needed to go to the hospital. And so I was there with Wendy. Last night he had passed, or yesterday afternoon he had passed. But I was there just to comfort her, just to be with her, to love on her. And I believe that that is what we are to do as a body of Christ, and that's what God led me to do. 
So that was my listening and God answering and using. Yeah, thanks, Kareem. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, when, we're, when we're faithful to pay attention to what the Spirit of God is saying and when we have the courage to, to, uh, to, to, to act in faith, God uses us. God uses us, and I, and I know there are many more that are hearing the voice of Jesus. I, I spoke with Marv uh, this morning, and he, he said, you know, he, he felt this sense that God was inviting him to share with a colleague who had experienced tragedy, and, uh, and, and so, so church, let's be those people <laughs> who listen for the voice of Jesus, because he wants to love our city, and he wants to love it through you and through me, not, not simply with random acts of kindness, but under the direction of the Spirit of God who knows all things and sees all things and works all things for the good and the glory of God. So this morning, uh, I want to draw you into uh, something uh, different, something, well, not different, it's the same, actually. (laughs) But this morning, all across the world, the church universal is celebrating the day of Pentecost. Uh, Today is Pentecost Sunday. It, It marks 50 days after the Easter weekend. And on this day, some 2,000 years ago, you could say that the church was actually born. Mark this, the church is not a building. It's not a social club. It's not a weekly gathering. The church is not an institution. Rather, the church always has and forever will be a movement of the Holy Spirit. And so today, church, let us not lose sight of all that Jesus intends us to be. I invite you to turn with me to read the story of our Genesis. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21, I could read the whole chapter, but it's a bit long, and I'm going to go from verses 1 to 21. It's on page 758 uh, in the Pew Bible, uh, or uh, if you're looking on your device, just type in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 to 21. Hear the word. Of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, 
And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before coming, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus, we, we, we want to... We want to open our, our, our hearts, our minds, our eyes to the fullness of all that you are and all that you want to do in us, your church. We are your people, and we pray that as we, we enter into the, the first Pentecost story that you would fill us afresh with your Spirit. Heal in us what needs to be healed. Make us whole for the sake of your world, the world that you came to save. Jesus, I know at times talk can be cheap, and so we pray that you would fill words so that they're not empty, but alive and real. So fill us with your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, what a day that must have been. <laughs> the text tells us two important details uh, about the first, uh, that, 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 that day. It tells us first that it was Pentecost, and the second that all of the apostles were there in the same place. That's in verse 1. And now, the Jews had three major festivals in their calendar year. There was the Passover, there was the Feast of Tabernacles, and then there was the celebration or the Feast of Pentecost. And for these three different festivals in the year, uh, people from all over the Middle Eastern world, all over the, the, the world really, would, would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate these festivals. And when it came to the festival of Pentecost, it, it had a particular focus for, uh, for the worshipers there. There were two, two things that were important. First, they came to, to give thanks for God's provision. They would thank God for, for, for the harvest during the Feast of Pentecost. But secondly, they would also remember God's promises. And specifically, they would remember through the scriptures that they read, through the songs that they sang, they would remember God's promise to be present with his people. They would remember that God promised to be personally present to his people, leading them, providing for them, sustaining them, and overcoming their enemies. Just like God was present in the, the desert in Egypt with the people of God, so they remembered that God promised to be present in their midst again. It's what the festival was all about. And so... Jerusalem, then, is filled with all of these people from, from all over the Eastern world that have come to celebrate and remember God's provision and his promises. 
And we're told the second detail in verse 1, that the apostles are all together in one place. They're in this house together. And then it happens. Out of nowhere, there's this sound of a violent wind that fills the house. And, and then they see what looks like these tongues of fire resting on their foreheads. I mean, it's a wild scene, isn't it? <laughs> the experience is described with two images, wind and fire. Now, wind in the Bible is, is often a symbol of God's presence, right? It's his spirit moving upon the earth. On that day, there was a mighty rushing wind, and there was fire. Fire in the Bible also represents God's promise, right? Maybe you remember the story of Israel walking through the desert, and they were led by a pillar of fire. On that day, there was fire. There was wind, and there was fire. You know, the thing is, Sometimes it can be really hard to put into words what, it, what it's like to experience God's personal presence. It's hard to put into words. It's hard to describe. I remember talking with a friend of mine a, a, a number of years ago. And this friend had been a Christian for, for over 20 years of his life. But he had never really felt God's presence in his life in all of those years. But then something happened to him. It was in a season that he was going through that was a really tough time, like one of the worst he'd ever faced in his life. His life was literally falling apart. His marriage, his, his family, you, you name it, he was falling apart. And so one day he decided to call all his friends together that he knew to pray for him because he felt like his prayers were getting him nowhere on his own. And so as they gathered around him and prayed, my friend was overcome with the presence of of God in a really powerful way. He felt something. Something moved inside of him. And I asked him to describe what that was like for him. And he said, Keith, I think it's really hard to put into words. But I felt a fire inside and then a peace. And I kind of just knew that God was there, that God saw me and loved me. And that he knew the way forward. See, it's hard to put into words what it's like when we encounter God's presence. But in Acts chapter 2, the early church said it, it was like the sound of a mighty wind. And like tongues of fire. And I wonder, have you ex ever experienced something like that in your own life? Or maybe something like my friend did? I remember the second time that I experienced God's undeniable presence. For me, it was like a rushing wind. The first time was like a tongue of fire, but I'll save that story for another day. <laughs> spoiler, no, not spoiler, teaser. <laughs> but the, first, the second time I experienced God's undeniable presence in my life, I was a 17-year-old. I was a punk kid on a missions trip, school trip to Juarez, Mexico. And we were running these street programs for, for children with this one, one of the local pastors. And so one day we drove into this small village in the middle of the desert, and we met with the pastor, and we set up our games, and we waited for the kids and their parents to arrive. And it was a bright, sunny day as we set up. And, and as we waited, something unexpected happened. A violent wind began to blow. 
And out of nowhere, there were these tornadoes of sand that came whipping through the streets. And literally, in a moment, our team went from the sunshine, having to scramble inside to the church in order to wait out the storm. And we were disappointed. We, we were there to, 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 to be part of this joyful experience of, uh, of ministering to kids and their families, and we were disappointed. And so as we waited in this, this little church on the concrete floor, the pastor pulled out a guitar, and he began to play and to sing. And slowly it was like this spirit entered the room, and, and we joined him. And it was the late 90s, of course, and so we sang the song. <laughs> I lift my eyes up to the mountains where does my help come from my help comes from you maker of heaven creator of the earth as we sang in this this boarded up room the the wind pelting against the window something happened Something that I can only describe as a blanket of Jesus' presence being pulled over the room. We sang, and we prayed, and, and we confessed, and we worshiped. This was a room full of teenagers who were weeping together, myself included, but it was not, not a feeling of sadness. It wasn't a feeling of shame. It rather, it, it was this sweetness, this, this sense of security, this sense in which God saw us and was with us. And I remember how the Holy Spirit spoke to me personally in that moment. He actually had a word about my pride. <laughs> the Spirit's word to me in that moment was a rebuke. But it was a rebuke that didn't lead me into condemnation, but rather one that brought me to new life, to freedom. And I wept, and I prayed, and I confessed, and I sang. I was coming alive in a way that was undeniably real. Have you ever experienced the presence of God in your life? It's not something we can orchestrate but it's something that we can open ourselves to. You see, God's wind and fire, it can fill us in powerful ways, but sometimes God's presence is a little more subtle than that. I visited a man with stage four cancer a number of years ago, and he was preparing for his death. He had a terminal diagnosis. And he was a good man, he had lived a good life, uh, but he never knew Jesus. He actually thought Christianity was a hoax and, and a crutch. But in the last few weeks of his life, something shifted, something changed. When he went into palliative care, a relative of his encouraged him to pray to God. And he did. He figured, you know, what have I got to lose? And when he prayed to God, the Spirit began to stir something subtly inside. It's like God was cracking something open that had always been there. And someone from our church went to visit this man and, and explained that this experience was the spirit of Jesus inviting him to trust his life to the Lord. And as the sick man told me the story, uh, a few days later, he was weeping with these tears of gratitude. 
He was thankful that, that God would, would enter into his life with grace and with love when all he had done his whole life was ridicule God. You see, on that day, there was no sound of wind. There were no tongues of fire. Only sweet tears that were born out of a difficult prognosis and of prayer. But make no mistake about it. God was powerfully present. He was undeniably real. And now, verse 4 explains that, that, that all of these people in Pentecost, they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> all of the people I've spoken of thus far were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled. A chapter back, if we were to go back, if we had time to look at, at Acts chapter 1, we'd read that this was the last promise that Jesus ever gave his disciples. That they would be filled with God's personal presence. I mean, what an amazing promise, isn't it? Uh, but even more amazing is, is that these disciples, these first disciples, actually received the promise. Imperfect people were filled with the spirit of the perfect God. It's breathtaking. And after they're, they're filled with the spirit, they move out into the streets and they begin to speak these different languages. And now, let's take a moment to think about what's actually going on here. The city is filled with, with people from, uh, from, from hundreds of miles away. All these different ethnic groups ha had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, to remember that God had promised to be present with his people. And then all of these pilgrims in town for the festival, they, they hear their dis these disciples speaking in their own language, explaining the wonders of God. It's like God entered the city that day, though he had always been Lord of it. And look what the crowd says in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It's the right question to ask. What does all of this mean? Uh, and I want to help you understand uh, or, or, or help you answer that question this morning. What does it mean when God's Spirit fills a person? But, but before I do, I want you to notice what the people there that day don't ask. They don't ask, did that really happen? <laughs> That's the question that lots of people ask when it comes to Acts chapter 12. It's the skeptic's question. Now hear me on this. There, there, is, there is a time to be a skeptic. There is a time where we must ask questions, where we must investigate. But don't miss this church. The people that day, they didn't, uh, they, they didn't question the reality of what was happening. They simply wanted to know what it all meant. <laughs> That's because what they were experiencing, though it was very unusual, it was also very real. And so they ask, what does it mean? What does it mean? And that's when the apostle Peter stands up and he explains it to them. And he sets about helping them understand what it means when the Spirit of God fills a person. Now, here's the, the funny aside. Some people thought that these spirit-filled apostles were, were drunk. But Peter, you know, protests and says, look, it's only nine in the morning. Now, I remember preaching this text to a community, community of people who struggle with addictions. 
And we all agreed that it is possible to be drunk at nine in the morning. And so a better explanation is needed. And, and Peter actually gives one. It's in verses 17 to 21. He says, what is happening is, is a fulfillment of the promise God spoke to the prophet Joel, that God would pour out his spirit on all people, on sons and daughters, on the young, the old, the marginalized, on women and men alike. All will be filled with God's empowering presence. There's no division. But what's interesting is that Peter actually changes some of Joel's words. He quotes Joel saying at the very beginning in verse 17, in the last days. But here's the thing, Joel never used those words. Peter adds them. Peter is actually emphasizing something here. He's emphasizing that what was happening that day was a sign that we are in the last days. The last days. Sometimes we hear that term and we think, oh no, <laughs> the last days, that's a horrible thing. The, the last days make us think of destruction and the end of the world, but that's not what the term means. The last days refer not to the last days on the earth, but rather the last days of evil's reign upon the earth. The last days of sin's chaos and bondage. The last days of oppression and injustice and poverty. The last days because Jesus came to eradicate sin and all its effects. Peter is essentially saying, finally, the last days are upon us. Finally, God's wind and fire have come to free us from our true enemy, sin and evil, and the brokenness that it causes in a life and in our world. In other words, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a sign that sin and evil have been put on notice. The chaos that sin creates is on the way out because Jesus has broken its power on the cross and he has now sent his spirit to break its power in us and in our world. When the people ask, what does this mean? The answer is given. God has come to personally restore all that has been broken by sin in the world. And in Acts 2, Peter goes on to highlight three areas that the Holy Spirit has come to restore. And God's Spirit is at work to restore the whole heart, the whole person, and the whole world. And I want to briefly, quickly show you each of these three things in the rest of chapter 2. I didn't have time to read the whole of chapter 2 this morning, but let me point you to what they say about how the Holy Spirit fills people in order to restore them to wholeness. First, when the Spirit fills us, He's working to, to heal our hearts, to give us a whole heart. Peter quotes a psalm in verses 25 and 28 in the text, saying that, that God's Spirit makes the heart glad and the tongue rejoice, that a person is filled with joy in God's presence. In other words, when the Holy Spirit moves in a person, the Spirit is actually moving them toward inner wholeness. And now, here's the reality. The reality is that most of us live with a broken heart. 
And I'm not necessarily talking about a lost love. Rather, I mean that we live with a broken inner life. Some of us live under the crippling weight of shame or under the weight of a past mistake or or others live with this brokenness that's been sown into them through an abuse or a trauma or a tragedy. Or maybe the inner brokenness is, is because of words that have been spoken to you or, or, or a parent who was absent. We live with this broken inner life. In other words, our inner life is broken because of either the sin we've done or the sin that has been done against us. And we need God to heal that brokenness. We need to hear him say, you are loved. You are forgiven. We need to hear God say, I can make you whole again. I can cover over the past trauma of your life. I can bring healing because you're my beloved. You see, that's what the Spirit does when the Spirit fills us. He takes this fractured heart and he makes it whole again. It's what the Spirit of God was doing in me as a 17-year-old punk in Mexico. He was speaking into a fractured heart because he wanted to make me whole. The second reason the Spirit fills a person is, is to restore us as a whole person. You see, there's more to being human than, than simply our inner life. There's also our outer actions And the Spirit is is poured out on people in these last days to reorder our actions around God's goodness and His priorities. You see, when we live life God's way, life works. Love, forgiveness, generosity, holiness, justice, Are these not the ingredients for a life that works? You see, when we we live God's way, it's the only kind of life that goes the distance, the only kind that works. But when we don't live God's way, when, when we don't live into these things, life simply doesn't work. People fall apart. Relationships fall apart. Societies fall apart. And we see that happening today in the void of love in our world, in the void of forgiveness, in the void of generosity and holiness and justice. People fall apart. And so the Spirit comes to fill us in such a way, not simply to change our inner life, but also to, to, to empower us to live the good life that God intends for us. And that's why later in the text, when when the crowd experiences the Holy Spirit themselves, we're told in verse 37 that they're cut to the heart, and then they ask, what shall we do? They're connecting the dots. The Spirit fills them. Something happens inside, and they ask, well, well, what should we do then? What, What is the action to take? The Spirit fills people in order to empower them toward godly action. We're filled with the Spirit in order to walk with the Spirit and then participate Him in producing the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit restores the whole person from inside to out. 
It's what the Spirit does. It's why he fills us. And we can't miss this. When the people are filled with the Spirit personally, they ask the question, what shall we do? And Peter tells them what they should do. He says in verse 38, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. There's always the step. Repent. Peter explains that the only appropriate response to an experience of God's wind and fire is to repent. Now, the word doesn't mean to feel remorse for something bad you've done. I mean, maybe it could encompass that, but there's a place for that to be sure. But, but the word speaks not so much about remorse, but rather about a change in direction. It means to turn around or, or to give up your own agenda. Repentance is about aligning our outer actions with the inner change that God's Spirit has been orchestrating. And church, baptism is then the symbol of that decision. It's this outward sign of what God is doing within us. And I want to say that, that if you haven't stepped into the waters of baptism, my question is, what are you waiting for? You see, baptism isn't for the perfect Rather, it's for broken people. Broken people who have said yes to Jesus and who want him to make them whole, both inside and out. So church, why don't you jump in? Seriously, there's no need to wait. We don't wait to get our life together. That's not what baptism is about. It's about opening our life and saying, Jesus, I need you to fill me with your spirit because I know you're real and you want to do something in my life. I don't know what, I don't know how, but I know I want in. And so we repent and we are baptized. And third, God pours, so, so God pours his spirit into us because he wants to restore a whole heart and he wants to restore a whole person, but also he wants to restore the whole world. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and that's the point of the apostles speaking in different kinds of languages in, in, in the text, right? God's redemptive mission is for the whole world. Could you imagine what it would have been like if these people had experienced the Holy Spirit's presence doing something in their life and they stayed in the house? They didn't go to the streets? God's redemptive mission is for the whole world. In these last days, the Spirit is being poured out on all peoples because in God's world, everyone is invited to the party. And here's the thing, church, each one of us has a role to play in God's invitation to the world, to our neighbors. One of my favorite moments on, on our trip to, to Mexico City uh, with the, the missions team that went down there was, was at the pastor's retreat. And at the pastor's retreat, we, we sang the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, in three different languages. I'm not going to sing it for you. I've already put you through that today, all right? We sang, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, in three different languages, in English, in Spanish, and in Natal, which is an indigenous language. 
I want that to sink in. In Mexico, the indigenous people suffered a similar kind of oppression to the indigenous peoples here in Canada. It wasn't the same, but there were similarities. Yet, in this small town outside of Mexico City was an indigenous woman singing praises to Jesus for the healing he had done in her life, and she sang in her own indigenous language. It was a picture of God's kingdom come upon the earth. And it was a picture that stuck with me. Church, what would it look like for an indigenous person to sing praise in an indigenous way through their indigenous language to the one true God that we all know here in this church? Oh, that would take a mighty work of the Holy Spirit. It would take a mighty work of the Holy Spirit in us to walk humbly, patiently, caringly. And it would take a, a work of the Holy Spirit in the Seals people who, who, whose land we, we stand on. But the Spirit fills people for the sake of the whole world. And to that end, the Spirit is moving. What does all this mean? They asked at the first Pentecost. It means that God's personal presence has come to restore the whole heart, the whole person, for the sake of the whole world. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Have your way in us again. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we want to thank you that you didn't leave us broken and destined to an eternal death, but that on the cross, you took our sin upon yourself and you broke the curse. And that the cross didn't have the final word on life because three days later you rose from the dead. And then you ascended to the right hand of God the Father. But you weren't done yet. <laughs> you sent your Holy Spirit to complete the work, to fulfill the mission, to restore hearts and people and people groups. And so, Jesus, today we simply want to say we want to be part of that story again. We want to be part of that story afresh. <laughs> we want to be part of that story this week. So fill your church and make us whole. For the sake of the world that you love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.